Welcome to The Money Huddle, a podcast that explores financial topics for families and small business owners. Hosted by Michael Baker and Ross Marinell. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ross or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and may not reflect the opinions of Planners Alliance. The podcast recording is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Planners Alliance may maintain positions and securities discussed on the program. And welcome back for part two. Uh, this is the Money Huddle. Um, my name is Michael Baker, and I'm sitting here with, uh, again, my co-pilot, Ross Marinell, and we still have Steve Ostrink Jr. here in the studio with us. So, um, Steve, as we spent a good part of, uh, you know, the conversation in part one talking about just risk management, uh, I'd like to, you know, maybe c- continue down that path a little bit, but also talk about some of the prevailing uh, themes that we see in financial media and just in general being marketed to the public. And, and one of the ones, and probably my favorite response on it so far, it happened um, in a podcast uh, that um, Patrick O'Shaughnessy does. Have you, have you ever listened to his? You're not a podcast listener. That's right. It's growing on. It's now growing on you. Friends now, now that now that now that you're going now that you're going to be a podcast superstar. But Patrick O'Shaughnessy had a, a guy on his um, on his show, uh, Wes Gray, and I know we've I've emailed about him before. Yeah. And the in the context, if I don't get the context exactly right, um, my apologies to those guys. But basically, they were talking about multiple different things. And Wes Gray made the comment, he was talking about how, you know, these um, passive indexing, like, you know, these indexing funds, you know, that we see with Vanguard and Fidelity and everybody's got their index funds and now they're doing index ETFs and like we're talking like razor thin costs to, to own these type of products. And, but the media keeps pushing this narrative out, like index, index, indexes beat, you know, the pros. Sure. And, you know, Wes was like, you know, I'm really worried that a lot of people are making, quote, active investment decisions, buying these funds, thinking like, oh, this is how you beat the pros. You just cut them out, you know, cut them out of the picture altogether and you go buy these indexes funds. And then basically you're there, they're trading these index funds and thinking like, oh, you know, um, that's going to be, that's going to be how I'm going to outperform. Right. What, what are your what are your thoughts on on that mentality? Well, I, have a, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, number one, the the idea of indexing in general, indexing is is inherently already an active management decision. Gotcha. And people people think you know I'm an index investor, so I'm passive. Well, no, you're not. You made an active decision to be an index right. investor. <laughs> Take that even further. There's a lot of different indexing strategies. Like the S and P 500 is a market cap weighted index. That means the larger the, the stock and the index, the more of an allocation that's given to it. Now, fundamentally, take a step back you know, and, and, and ask yourself, just because one stock is larger than another, does that make it a better investment? No. Because I mean, that's what your S&P index is doing. Right. So when you yeah. say indexing is the best you know, the, the best approach, you, you're, you're, you're just simply allocating, you know, higher weight to the larger companies. Now, that's one indexing strategy, but now there's been all, all sorts of other indexing strategies sure. that are coming to the market where they might allocate more to, say, companies that have a higher dividend yield or a right. higher earnings uh, payout or something. Or there's now indexing strategies that are just pure equal weight. 
Um, there's indexing strategies that are low volatility. So stocks that, that have less risk, less volatility are given a higher weight. My point is there is no truly passive investment today. There is not. I mean, period. Like you are making an active decision in some way, shape or form as you evaluate different indexing methodologies and select one of those indexing methodologies, if you're aware of it or not, right? right. You are making an active decision. But the other thing is, I mean, there's been a lot of studies done on on just like determinants of portfolio return. Where does our return come from? Right. And at the end of the day, return doesn't come from stock selection. Like people don't really, I mean, yes, if you're, if you're Warren Buffett and you're buying the entire company, company <laughs> yes, like that makes sense. Like that's a little bit unique of a situation. But you know, my point is for the average investor that's, that's preparing for their retirement, unless they have an insanely concentrated portfolio of four stocks, you know, the stock selection piece of it, if you're appropriately diversified, that's not your main driver of returns. People, you know, they, they just don't fully grasp that. So, you know, I don't, not to say stock selection and the indexing methodology, which is essentially which, what, what is driving your stock selection as an investor. It's not saying that's completely unimportant. I mean, do your homework, do it right. But if we, in order of priority, right, as an investor, I think it makes sense to prioritize what actually drives the bulk of our portfolio return. So our team, as an investment research team, uh, you know, we're, I'm a chartered financial analyst and um, it, we have a, another chartered financial analyst on our team and it's like, we're, we're not stock pickers. Right. We choose our battles. Like our research, our investment community, what we focus on is asset allocation research. Why? Because that's what ultimately drives yeah. portfolio return, right? right? So, and why I mention this now is the asset allocation that we're that we're using for for clients, stocks versus bonds versus foreign versus hard assets, whatever it is. That decision is completely separate than stock selection or indexing. So, when people say, you know, when there's this argument of, do I need a professional advisor? I mean, my answer to that is professional advisor for, for what? I mean, like, okay, do you need a, a, a stock manager? No. Do you need an advisor to help you with asset allocation decisions? Well, yeah, most definitely. Most clients have no clue as to how to do that. And if that's the primary determinant of their returns, right. I would say, as an investor, go find an advisor or someone that's really good at, at, at asset allocation and get their feedback. Right. But then to take that even further now, all right, what about financial planning? The impact of insurance and estate and tax and social security and all these other things that come into the, the context of a client's financial life. Again, do you need a professional for that? I would think so. I mean, most clients aren't, aren't well-versed there. So that's a very right. interesting you know, you know, comment around that. It's a, that, that was a loaded question. <laughs> no, it, well, I, I was trying to tee you up because I figured you would have you would have one I, or two I things to say. Talking. No, but uh, that's that's something that you know we don't see a lot of times. I mean, typically the the types of folks that seek us out are already not wanting to be the do-it-yourselfers. But um, we also try to we try to have a balanced approach, and and you know, and there's some people that do enjoy you know handling their own portfolio either because they really actively enjoy the process it's you know stimulating for them or they just don't necessarily trust someone else to do it yeah. and, and you know that's kind of one of the typical 
defenses, if you will, that we, you know, are here, you know, we hear about or, well, you know, I mean, Vanguard, blah, 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 or Fidelity's got this. And then, you know, there's actually, um, and you're probably aware of this, you know, there's, there's a battle right now within our industry of, you know, how, how low can, can these, you know, funds reduce their internal expenses? I mean, we're talking like, Ba- you know, basis points yeah. are being fought over, and uh, the the entity SoFi just released an ETF that's at least in the initial offering. I think is is no fee, yeah, like a no fee ETF, and and everyone's thinking like, oh, is that the, you know, is that the beginning of the next the next level? Of, hey, I'll, I'll jump in here and take a swing at this one because at some point, do you think they just factor a marketing expense cost just to get their name out there and promote it? It's almost like you would do any any type of marketing. Uh, project or, or take on it's like we're going to cut the last five basis points out but we're going to get enough market exposure here to make it you know interesting for us well I mean, you know like the media took that story and ran with it right like so how so much publicity did did that tons. garner when i think the question is really like how much does saving you know 0.02 or 0.04 percent have an impact on you know long term well again i mean it's it's kind of a lot of this is is apples and oranges, right. and that was my answer to, to the comment. I mean, it's like we're talking about here products. We're talking about building blocks of a portfolio. It has nothing to do with the advice on asset allocation or financial planning, and those are the things that ultimately often make or break a retirement. I mean, the the if you're using you know ticker ABC or XYZ for you, your U.S. large cap exposure and one costs two basis points more than another, is that going to really impact your retirement? No, like that's that's just right. funny, you know. It's like, but at the same time, if you have, uh, say, sixty percent stock exposure or five percent stock exposure right. in your portfolio, and the planning is done really well or really poorly, will that literally make or break your retirement? Yeah, I mean, and that's really, really the point that you're making earlier, which is it's not so much stock selection, stock picking; it's stock exposure. Right. So versus going and trying to pick the best fifty stocks, maybe you. You know the right allocation for you might be just owning eighty percent right. exposure in equities. Period. And I and I think and what just popped in my head when when Ross said that is just to his point is like the best fifty stocks for what? Right. Like the best fifty stocks for growth, the best fifty stocks for income, the best you know fifty right. stocks for momentum. Right. You know, I mean, there's just there's so many different ways to like carve that you know, or to like you said to peel that onion. Right. You know, it's like why. Why spend so much time and effort on maybe like the ten percent mm-hmm. versus you, when you're ignoring like the ninety percent determinant right. of your portfolio returns, which is asset allocation? Exactly, and there's been more and more uh, studies. You know, I like there um, on the value of an advisor. Um, that's been something kind of talked about in our industry. Several large financial institutions have done some of these different studies, and yeah, I find it. I find it pretty pretty fascinating I mean, pretty eye-opening. Um, not necessarily from the perspective of what, as from like a client's perspective, what do you get when you hire an advisor? Like it's not, like that's interesting to me. Like clients should be aware of that. Like what, what do they, what, what is the value of an advisor? Is it stock selection? Is it financial planning? Like what is it, right? And so I'd encourage people to really seek that out as they talk with financial advisors and 
and really get a breakdown of like what is the value of you as my advisor like what are you doing so that's interesting that part but i think the the, the more interesting part for me about the value of an advisor concept is really how it it, it kind of um, puts the mirror up in front of a lot of advisors and uh, where where they have to look at themselves and say Am I providing? Right. What am I really doing here? What am I really doing here? Right. And wholesaling another another guy's portfolios, or you know, being a salesperson, to that that doesn't make sense anymore. I mean, the the, the industry, to your point on fees, we're moving to this cost compression environment. Just just a, a middleman <laughs> isn't good enough. So I think as we look at the financial advisor landscape, I just I think what's happening is it's evolving where the the strong are going to survive and the strong are the advisors that are actually delivering value okay apart from being a middleman product salespeople. okay we need products investment managers financial planners they need products but there are thousands of products and and the price compression there is happening which is exciting but then as an advisor okay now we need to define and deliver significant value to our clients and that I don't see going away. Now, will will fees compress? Sure, maybe, but there's a lot of value to be delivered there and that's what will ultimately make or break a client's retirement. No. Uh, Well, we agree with you, obviously, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, no, that's, that's, you know, some wonderful insight, especially from, you know, we know like we're, we're constantly in front of clients and doing a lot of that planning work. Uh, we trust you and your team to, to have our back with the portfolios. And, and there's a, a major collaborative effort that, that's always present when we're building plans for folks. And, and I think that's kind of one of the one of the analogies that I've heard uh, mentioned about some of the way that the, the, the industry may be going is the kind of the use of like the craft beer analogy. Like if you ever talk to somebody that 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 loves beer like they're, they're in you know they're in the craft beer they'll have like their favorite you know and like ross has his favorite what's your favorite I, <laughs> he's like i'll take whatever i'll take the box wine. pass <laughs> pass the answer is yes <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> so anyway um but you know i mean he he, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll go out and he'll, he'll know typically if we're looking at, you know, the beer menu, like, oh, I, I like that one. And, but what we're typically, what we're not seeing is like these big brands, you know, like Budweiser and Bud Light. And, you know, the, you're, you're not seeing your, your beer people really order those anymore. You're seeing, so like there's this, this new, um, the small micro breweries is yeah. creating this culture within that industry. And, and that's what I think the the person that made this comment was alluding to is that there's starting to be more and more independent advisory teams that are, you know, trying to bring in and add value with their independent relationships with, you know, portfolio managers, with accountants, CPAs, with estate planning attorneys, with their own financial expertise. And they're saying, hey, we can come in here and you can bring your stuff to us. We'll create a you know customized plan for you. It's not going to be like the big house right. where you're you know your you know your client number one thirty one dash A, and you got the same stuff that everybody else had, and you're just kind of on that treadmill. Right. So, um, but you can see it too, right? I mean, uh, as as advisors, there's a lot of different advisors out there, but I mean, the uh, there's a lot of these advisors that 
I mean, they're they're playing golf all day. You know, they've got big, <laughs> yeah. gorgeous offices, and nothing wrong with golf and nice offices. But you really have to. We're gonna we're gonna that. make t-shirts. We're gonna. I think we're gonna do a t-shirt that says financial advisor, and then the the subheading underneath is like our golf game sucks. You know, it's just like because we're we're in the, nice we're in the office all day. Yeah, well, it's true. I mean, because we're working. Yeah, it's just about priorities, right? I mean, some true. advisors are are really good planners and decent salespeople. Um, there's no advisors out there that are really good planners and terrible salespeople because then they'd be out of business. So they at least have to be decent salespeople, but also very good planners. But then there's also advisors that are phenomenal salespeople. And terrible planners, right, right. and they survive because they're such good salespeople. You know, it, right. it's just it, it, that's just what I see evolving and shifting in this industry. Um, investors are getting smarter, um, and there's there's much more transparency around cost and fees. Right. And as that happens, and as that persists, people want to know what they're paying for. Right. And that's where I say again, this idea of value of an advisor: what are you actually delivering? How are you articulating that? How are you implementing that? that's not that business model is not going to die i mean people need that right and i I think kind of going back to the evolution of in the expansion of exchange traded funds it just because the costs are coming down that's helpful but it doesn't mean it's that's the answer there has to be a a little there's a little bit more complexity to that you bet you bet yeah and that's and i just i love the fact that costs are coming right it's great those are building blocks that that really solid financial planners and advisors use. So, I mean, I, I'm i never going to bat an eye against you know, that, the cost coming down. I mean, that just saves everybody right. everybody money and, and, and gives us more options, right? It gives us more 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 tools in our toolkit to implement for clients, uh, which that, that's a good thing. But, but nevertheless, we still have to defend our value and build value. And all I'm saying is there's a lot, there's a lot that can be done there to help clients but it's not around stock selection. It's not around market timing. It's not around these fictitious risk management, you know, tools. Like right. there, there's a lot that goes into prudent financial planning and risk management that that does add long-term value. That's a great way to kind of wrap that up. So before you go, uh, I just want to have a couple of personal questions for you here. So you grew Ooh. you grew up in the business uh, working with your dad. Um, senior, as we lovingly call him. So shout out to uh, Steve Senior. If you're listening to the junior. podcast, um, but uh, tell us, you know, tell us some of your, you know, your your favorite memories of growing up and learning the ropes uh, with your dad. Oh man, oh man, we had some fun memories. I mean, um, it, it's just been a fun journey, really. I mean, I, I started in the business when I was, I don't know, 15 years old. Um, leaving school to go to go work. Um, I put my study halls at the end of the day so I could go in the <laughs> office, leave school, and go work. Um, I think most people would have left school and then gone and did something different. But right. I, I genuinely enjoyed the business, so I would go out for lunch. And you know, I remember I remember when I was just young, young, young. You know, like sitting sitting at a restaurant asking senior about. You know, I don't get it. What's it? What's an A share mutual fund? How is that different than a C share? You know, like what well, I was asking these these questions uh, that, that just early on kind of kind of got me groomed up in the business. And now it's funny. I mean, I, I I truly I feel like a dinosaur in the business. I'm I'm uh, how old am I? I'm 34 years old, and I feel like a dinosaur in this business. You're not 34. <laughs> Are you really 34? Yeah. 
and I'm a dinosaur in this business because I feel like I've been at it so long. But but no, it was great. I mean, growing up in that environment with with senior, he's been in the business forty plus years. And when you when you start that long ago, I mean, in this business, it is the the um, the number of iterations of the, the industry. Yeah, it's <laughs> scary. So it's been fun to hear about how the business has evolved and made from more of a commission-based environment to fee-based, more sure. suitability to a fiduciary standard. I mean, there's so many changes. Like just transactional um, to relationship-based. Oh, and, everything, yeah. everything. So, yeah, there's, I mean, there's an infinite amount of, uh, of, of memories um, that come through that. But Steve Sr. still, I mean, he's, he's part of our team. And um, now he, I kind of joke around with him because we have a, we have a, we have a great team. We have a, um, a younger team uh, as a part of our firm, which is great. But which, I, which, just to interrupt, uh, cannot be overstated. We constantly talk about like the value of you know looking at younger teams. Like we used to, like when we started our business, we were we were worried that that was maybe a disadvantage for us mm-hmm. being on the younger end of the spectrum. But as every year goes by, I'm like, no way. It's that is asset. such yeah. such an asset because. You have to think about, you know, the average age or the median age in our business is, is on the upper end. It's right. older. And right. a lot of these advisors don't have succession plans. So these, you know, the, these folks that, you know, a lot of folks that are going to be retiring in the next decade, they have relationships with. That's not going to be the advisor that necessarily sees you through your retirement years. You know, you're going to be handed off to somebody. For and sure. are you... Are you okay with that? Are you comfortable with that? And, yeah. you know, and, and for our younger listeners, our younger families, it's like, you know, one of the things Ross and I talk about is like, we're doing this walk with you. Like, right. you know, like, like Ross has, you know, he has two kids, you know, I have two children, you've got three. And I mean, we're in that same station of life where we're like, okay, got to get to work, got childcare, got schoolwork, got homework, got, yeah. what are we, you know, what are we doing for this summer? You know, we have all of those same life you know week daily weekly stressors and decisions that have to be made and so the same stuff that they're dealing with a lot of times financially we're dealing with it too in our personal life i'm still thinking about steve being 34 and a dinosaur i don't know what that makes me i'm like ice age like what what, you're the how far back do i go Retirement in a few years. I'm just, I'm oh my gosh. Old, man. Oh man. Yeah, you bought you bought that annuity back when you were 18. That's right. <laughs> You're getting I, ready to turn it on, huh? I don't know how that went through suitability, but it, it works for me. Hey, if you work, you know, we'll, we'll leave that alone. We we got to stay compliant <laughs> on our on our show here. But um, no, that that was great. And you know, one of the things too is um, that's one of the things that we we value. Ross and I value so much with just you and your team is that you guys all are young. You know, I mean, because we know, like, okay, we're not gonna except for seniors. So I was gonna Sen- say seniors well, not young. Well, senior seniors, like, you know, he's he's a figurehead. You know, he's you know, he's got he, the gray hair. Yeah, good. exactly. You know, what I mean, but for the most part, we're not. You know, we're not worried about. Oh well, you know, with Steve, he does retire because I mean, we as long as we keep you healthy, buddy, we should have you around for a, a long period of time. But you know, again, we're we're very grateful that you came down uh, to see our people and spend some time with us and. Question: uh, Are we your first ever podcast interview? I think so. Boom! I've, I've done some radio shows. Yeah, but, but never podcast right here. First. So you'll, there you, you know you'll never forget your first, buddy. Well, <laughs> we'll leave that alone. <laughs> we'll leave that alone. <laughs> All right. So thank you guys for listening. As always, if you got a question for us, shoot us an email, um, or don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and we'll talk to you next time.